Good morning, everybody. Uh, this morning, we're going to do part two of Psalm 106. We started this psalm last week, and what a blessing it was to be able to look at Moses as a picture of Christ. And in those last couple of verses that we looked at in verse 22, 23, uh, where he was God's chosen one, um, he stepped in and interceded for the people, and he basically turned the wrath of God uh, from the people. And what a picture of Jesus that is as an intercessor for his people even today. Uh, we're left last week celebrating that simple truth and uh, heard a lot of good feedback this week that that resonated with many of you. What a blessing it is to, to sit under the Word of God and be trained and taught by it. So this week, instead of going through the whole rest of the chapter, um, we're just going to take the fifth story. So in Psalm chapter 106, there are eight stories that are lined out. Last week we looked at four of them. Today we're going to look at just one of them. And then next week when we get all back together, we're going to look at the final three and wrap up the chapter. So this is um, Prone to Wonder Part 2. And so we're going to be in Psalm 106, verses 23, I'm sorry, 24 through 27. This is a historical psalm. And some of these stories are familiar to you. You probably noticed that last week when we talked about the, the golden calf and uh, the Red Sea incident with the Israelites. But some of them are going to be really new. And I just want to call our attention and our remembrance back to a couple of things before we jump into the text and read it together. Psalm 105, verse 5, says, Remember the wondrous works that he has done. Well, in Psalm 106 that we looked at last week, verse 7, it says that they did not consider his wondrous works, that they did not remember the abundance of his steadfast love. And so where Psalm 105 really magnifies God's goodness, Psalm 106 kind of on the flip side reveals men's sinfulness. Verses 1 through 5 focus on praising and thanking God for his mercy and his goodness. And these characteristics of God stand in stark contrast to the character of the Israelites, which rather painfully illustrated um, just really their true heart, their sinfulness. And these eight stories that the psalmist brings up illustrate this as well in Psalm 106. So, Verses 1 through 5 celebrate God's mercy and his goodness. And then verses 6 through 43 illustrate why it was necessary in their lives. And this painful truth that God's people are prone to wonder. Last week, we looked at the first 23 verses. And I kept coming back to this, this phrase. Really, it was verse 6. And it says, Our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Today, we're going to keep it simple and look at just the fifth situation that's mentioned in verses 24 through 27, and we'll cover the rest of the chapter next week. The historical counterpart for this, these verses in Psalm 106 is found in Numbers 14, and actually in Deuteronomy 1 as well that we'll look at briefly um, as part of this too. So, uh, we're going to get it from Psalm 106, and I'm going to read verses 24 through 27, and then we'll have a word of prayer together, and then we'll uh, jump into the text too. Um, here it is, Psalm 106, verses 23 through 20, 24 through 27. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. 
Therefore, he raised his hand and swore to them that, they would, that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Let's pray together. Father, it's so good to hear from your word. Even when we aren't gathered together in person, Lord, we gather around your word as we do every week. We do that now in our homes, wherever we are. And Lord, we know that your word is truth and it's going to speak that truth to our hearts today. And so we we need it, Lord, and we pray that you would do it by your spirit, through your word, and for your glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, this is, if you've got my notes uh, downloaded and printed out or you're looking them at another device, you'll see that the story that this is, the fifth one in Psalm 106, I've titled just Complaining Number One. You can guess there's going to be a complaining number two later on in the chapter, but this is complaining number one. Remember, the author of Psalm 106 is aiming at something when he's referencing these sad stories from Israel's history, and he's aiming at this, that mankind is prone to wonder, but that God is merciful and good. There's a point to these stories, just like there's a point of remembering difficult times in your own life. It's to illustrate this truth that we are prone to wonder but that God is still merciful and good. And so verse 24 starts with a connecting word that kind of ties it back with the verses before it. He says, then. So the people were exchanging the truth of God for a lie. The glory of God for a silly idol, right? This golden calf. And had Moses not stepped in in that story and interceded for the people, they would have been rightfully destroyed by God. He would have been right and good even to do that, but he had mercy. That's just a beautiful picture of the redeeming and interceding work of Jesus Christ in our life. Now, as God's chosen one, God's chosen man, Jesus now steps in the gap and turns God's wrath away so that people are saved. Jesus is that for his people today. And Moses was that for the people of Israel years and years ago to a lesser degree. He was just a type of Christ. So with that fresh in their minds and in our minds, the psalmist then directs us back to the story of Caleb and Joshua from Numbers chapter 14. You can turn there if you'd like. Numbers 13 tells the story of Moses. He sends out 12 spies into the land of Canaan. Okay, one from each tribe, one person from each tribe. And so they went out and for 40 days, they were supposed to evaluate the land, look and see what it was like, see if it was good to dwell in, see if there were other people already living there and kind of how they would deal with some of those situations. Now, if you're familiar with this story, you probably remember that at the end of those 40 days, the majority of the guys came back with not a good report. Only two came back with a good report, and those guys were named Caleb and Joshua. Caleb, in fact, said to the people when they got back, he said, Hey, let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. So he had faith in God's promise. Fortunately, the other ten guys admitted, they said, Yeah, the land is beautiful. It's plentiful. They brought back a huge cluster of grapes between two guys on a stick and It's great, but they said, we're terrified of the people that live there. They're huge. They disagreed with Caleb and Joshua, and they they said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. They lacked faith. So Caleb and Joshua said that the land was good, and they could go into it, 
But the others believed that the land was land, they said in Numbers 13, verse 32, they said land that devours its inhabitants. They were afraid. The people there were so big and so tall that they, they just seemed like little grasshoppers in comparison. Well, guess which report the people clung to? The very first verse of chapter 14 tells us the answer. I want to read verses 1 through 4. Now I've got to find it here. Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would we that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Yet again, the people were ready to sacrifice uncertain freedom for certain slavery. Hmm. Our hearts are prone to so many things, and they're prone to this very thing as well. I said something kind of like this last week, but I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. Following God into uncertain territory is actually safer than remaining in familiar bondage. God is calling His people to step out into the land that He has prepared for them, the land that He's promised them, a land that's overflowing with blessing and gushing with good things, with truth, Walking in the truth may be unfamiliar territory to us, but you better believe that it's better than living in bondage to familiar sins. Make no mistake, sin is bondage. It's a trap. It's a net. It wraps you up so tight that you might even fear being free of it because you won't know what to do when the truth is made known, when it's removed from you. We're tempted to stay in what's familiar even when we know it's wrong simply because it takes more faith and trust than we're willing to work towards to walk in the truth. It's easier to stay in that bondage. Well, Israel thought that for sure. They thought that the sacrifice of comfort was more than they wanted to fool with. So they complained and they despaired and they blamed Moses and they blamed God and they wanted to go back. Now, I think there's something else that we see going on uh, that we don't actually find in Psalm 106 or really even from Numbers 14. So we need to go back to the account of this story in Deuteronomy chapter 1. So I'll give you just a moment to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're going to read verses 21 through 32. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near and said, Let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me. And I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It's a good land that our Lord is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. 
And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the land of the Amorites to destroy us. Let's keep going. Verse 28, where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the sons of Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt, before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Did you notice the problem here in verses 21 through 23 of Deuteronomy 1? So God's instructions were, go up, take possession of the land, don't be afraid or be dismayed. The people's response was, "Mm, let's send some guys out in front of us and bring us word back. And Moses' response was, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Okay, I hope that the problem is clear. If not, let me just spell it out for you. God said, go and don't be afraid. Do not dismayed. But out of mistrust and fear, the people sent spies out to scout out the land first. Now, this isn't the worst thing in the world in our eyes, but if you look at it from God's perspective, it wasn't obedience, was it? Moses even didn't see the problem with it all, which was a problem in and of itself, and which the Lord deals with with Moses. Now, we go all the way back to Psalm 106, verse 24, and it says, They despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. So, let me just recap the problem this way. What God called good, the people called bad. You see, God said the land is good. Go, take it. And the ten spies come back and say, we can't do it. It's not good. Why would God bring us out here? And the people cried out and complained. And this reminds me of Isaiah chapter 5, 20 and 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Israel lacked faith in the promise of God. Again, Deuteronomy 1, 30 and 32. The Lord, your God, who goes before you, will himself fight for you. They weren't alone. They weren't going on their own just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you've seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Remember all the things that God has done to show his faithfulness, to show his power and his glory. Yet, the end of verse 32, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. So what was the problem here? Unbelief and rebellion And they often, usually, go hand in hand. In fact, in this situation, unbelief led to rebellion. So the people were longing for this illusion of safety that they had in Egypt. Can you imagine that? They believed that they were safer in Egypt than where they were now. Thankfully, Joshua and Caleb, they stood up and they spoke the truth. Numbers chapter 14 6-9 through nine says, And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, 
who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. What, what reassurance, right? What encouragement, what a stirring and emotional, motivational speech here from these guys. But it didn't have the effect that you might expect. Read the next verse with me in Numbers chapter 14, verse 10. It says, Then all the congregation stood up to stone them with stones. They, they wanted to eliminate these guys who were encouraging them, who were challenging them to have faith in God. People who are stuck on themselves are really hard to reason with, aren't they? Aren't we? Right? Unbelief in this instance, and so often in our own lives, unbelief was fuel for rebellion. Not trusting in the promises of God fueled their rebellion against God. So, as Moses has done so frequently, he steps in again. He intercedes for the people, a people who are undeserving. And as we can expect, God has mercy again. Numbers 14, verses 20 through 23. I have pardoned, this is God speaking to Moses, according to your word. But truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have yet put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. Guys, God's glory is not something to be taken lightly. His glory is not something to just be easily forgotten. Numbers 14.21 says, As all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. This is an important thing, and we talked about that last week. Notice here that God's patience wasn't just this one-time thing either. God is not quick to anger. But it says that the people of Israel, they put God to the test. And he says ten times in particular. And if you go back and count up all the times that they grumbled against the Lord, it added up to ten times that the people had tested God and complained against Him. It wasn't just one time or even two times. Ten whole times. The truth is, Unbelief and rebellion, they go hand in hand and they have consequences. Numbers chapter 14, verse 23 says, None of those who despise me shall see it. Psalm 106, verse 24 says, Then they despised the pleasant land. There were consequences, pretty severe consequences for not believing God. So what God had promised, He was going to bring about. But the people's lack of faith caused Rebellion, which actually caused them then to despise the Lord. They thought that the Lord hated them. What the Lord was calling good, they were calling evil, and things just really came crashing down. It says that they murmured in their tents. Now, murmuring, complaining, that doesn't seem like that big of an offense to us, but certainly it was when they were saying these things against the Lord. It says that they did not obey the voice of the Lord. Do you ever find yourself doing the same thing. You know, maybe you're upset with the condition of your life. You 
might retreat to your own house and climb in bed and just want to complain. You know what God says, okay? But because things don't quite seem the way that they should be, they're not going the way that you thought they ought to go in your life, you choose not to obey the voice of the Lord. God's promise for His people years and years ago is the same for you today. He says, do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord will fight for you. Do you believe this is true in your life, in your situation today? Do you trust that God is telling the truth? Or is your unbelief causing rebellion in your life? For the Israelites who rebelled, the consequence was that they weren't going to be able to enter the pleasant land, the promised land. And as Psalm 106 verse 26 says, they did indeed fall in the wilderness. They fell in the wilderness. They did not enter the pleasant land. Caleb and Joshua, according to that story, were the only two guys over the age of 40 who entered the promised land. Now, not only this, but their children, who would eventually come to possess the land, their children were going to wander for years and years due to their parents' disobedience. When excusing their unbelief, Israel had claimed concern for their children. Right? They accused God of wanting to murder them. That They said, our children will be prey. Ironically, their children were the ones who would inherit the land while they perished in the wilderness. Now think about this. The kids who didn't know what in the world was going on were going to be affected for years and years because of their parents' rejection of truth. Moms and dads, the way you live greatly affects your children. How you trust God impacts your family. Now, don't get me wrong. Every person is responsible for their own actions. But what we do has consequences that ripple out to everyone around us. So we have to ask some questions of ourselves this morning. Are we despising what God is bringing about in our lives? Are you speaking the truth about what God is doing? That He's merciful and love, loving even in the midst of your circumstances, are you speaking lies about God? Not only in your speech, but in how you live. Just know that if you are speaking lies about God, you won't be the only ones who suffer from it. Just like the moms and dads of Israel, their kids suffered from their disobedience. For the Israelite kids, life was hard for a long, long time. Psalm 106, verse 27 does say, he says that they would fall among the nations and be scattered among the lands. So the moms and dads, those over 40, they would be scattered. Uh, They would fall among the nations and their kids would be scattered among the lands. So immediately after the rebellious generation of Israelites were condemned to wander the wilderness, immediately after that, the fighting started. It was compounded by their further rebellion and it happened right away. Look at Deuteronomy verse, chapter 1, verses 41 through 44. Then you answered me. This is Moses talking to the people of Israel. He says, Then you answered me. We've sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. The Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. 
So I spoke to you, and you would not listen. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. The people of Israel were sorry. They even admitted that they had sinned, but did that equal repentance? Based on their actions here right away, I think we can say that it didn't equal repentance. They wanted to make it all better with just a few religious works and a few good-sounding words, but you know what had not changed yet? Their hearts. Their hearts hadn't changed. This was still their initiative as a way of doing things their own way and hoping to reap the same blessings from the Lord. Friends, that doesn't work. God's will, God's way, is the only way that it does work. The truth is, lots of people are sorry for the consequences of their sin, but not near as many are so sorry that they turn their hearts in genuine trust of the Lord. What this group of Israelites did, I'm sorry, what this group of Israelites didn't succeed for was because God was not with them. He said, don't go up there and do this. I'm not with you. They made a futile attempt in the flesh to accomplish what they had rejected by faith, and guess how it ended? In defeat. Back to the wilderness. Pastor David Gusick says something. He says, when God was with them, they didn't think it was enough. Now that God was with them, they thought that they could do it. See, the spies, those 40 spies, they rep- I'm sorry, the 12 spies that went out for 40 days, they represented the whole nation. They failed in the test of 40 days, all but two of them did. Now, God says, the whole nation of Israel would be tested, not for 40 days, for 40 years, a year for every day. They would come out of it purified, so to speak, ready to finally inherit the promised land, but only after the men of unbelief and rebellion had perished in the wilderness, had fallen in the wilderness. Now, there's some application today I want to make as we finish up our time together. The old man, the one that dwells inside, the man who's still slave-minded to sin and wants to go back to that old way of life, that man, that old man, he can't enter into God's promises and into God's rest. That old man has to die. And if the people of Israel are any indication, God is willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. God does have a place of rest and a place of promise for every believer, but it can only be entered into by faith. Unbelief and self-reliance won't do it. They will never lead to God's rest and abundance. We despise the pleasant land when we try to do things our own way or when our lives are marked by grumbling and complaining. See, the truth is that only trusting in the one true God having faith in His promise and obeying His voice gains a person the promised land. Does that describe you today? I hope that it does. And I hope as we look at this story and the three that are coming in uh, Psalm 106 next week that we will be reminded of not only our own sinfulness but of God's mercy and His goodness and His faithfulness to us. That shouldn't cause us to, to stiffen up and say, okay, well, let's go do this my way. That should cause us to say, wait a second, I obviously don't have the best ideas here. 
God, let's do things your way. Let's, let's commit together to doing things God's way, to doing God's will God's way. That's how we obtain eternal rest in our souls. That's how we avoid the pitfalls of grumbling and uh, complaining and eventually the pitfall and sin of rebellion and disbelief in the Lord. So as we evaluate that in our own hearts, and as I pray here to close our time together, let God's Spirit do a work in your heart to change these things from the inside out, that you just stop trying to do it your way. You might feel sorry for sin, and that's not a bad thing, but if it just causes you to stiffen up and do things even more your way, it's, you, it's missed the mark. Instead, our prayer and my hope is that it would show you your need for the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. God, you're faithful and just, and you show through your word that there are consequences for sin. Lord, but you stand ready to forgive all those who in genuine repentance, not just say that they're sorry, Lord, but whose lives and hearts are changed by your truth. Lord, may our hearts and lives be changed by your truth this morning. And now may we go and may we live it, Lord, so that our lives, our speech, everything that we are and do, Lord, it displays the glory of your name as we want to do so badly, Lord. Let that come about in our hearts because of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great day.